Have you seen God redeem the hardest moments of your story in powerful ways? Mike Foster is our guest this week discussing how God used a tragic boating accident to call him into full-time ministry to not-so-perfect people. It's all in episode 72 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 72 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Mike Foster. Mike is the founder of People of the Second Chance. He also wrote that book, and he's a pastor to not-so-perfect people. Mike has a powerful story, a story of tragedy and loss, but through that tragedy, God has called him to minister to many hurting people through his life and ministry. You want to hear how Mike calls us to share our lives with those who have gone through significant hurt and pain in their lives. And now, here's our conversation with Mike Foster. Well, Mike, it is such a great privilege to have you here on the Churchers Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Mike, you have an amazing story, but your story really starts with an incident that happened in your life when you were a teenager. Can you take us back and tell us kind of that, that formative story that you've shared with me? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a hard story to tell even, you know, decades later, but mm-hmm. um, I was on a, uh, a boating skiing trip with some friends uh, from church, our church youth group, and it was a Memorial Day weekend, and I was behind the wheel of the boat, driving the boat, pulling a skier, and the skier motions that he wants to turn around and go the other direction, and so I began to turn this uh, boat into what I thought was clear water. Ended up not being clear water. There was another skier who had fallen into the water. And because of the speed that I was going, I was unable to turn the boat in time. And I actually hit him. I ran him over. Wow. And it wasn't just sort of like I bumped him. As the boat was coming at him, he, he raised his right arm to sort of protect himself from the impact. And literally the propeller of the boat just ran down his arm and broke off in his head. And, you know, I, I remember like literally it's just like HD vivid detail, even still, you know, decades later, like seeing just this unconscious, lifeless body in the water surrounded by, by this pool of blood and just thinking like, what, what have I done? And knowing, mm. knowing at that moment that life would change and life would be forever altered. So they would rush him to the emergency room. They'd medevac him out and, um, he'd barely survive. Uh, he would suffer some brain damage and permanently physically um, deformed for the rest of his life because of the accident, because of the propeller hitting him. And and I, I call these toothpaste moments where even though it was an accident and you know I never meant to hurt anybody in that moment, um, and no matter how hard I tried or wanted to reverse it or change what had happened, the toothpaste was not going back in the tube. And so I think all of us have moments like this that happen in our stories where we, we want things to be different. We want things to, we don't want to hurt people. We don't maybe want our life to be where it's landed today because of certain choices. And so that's where I think grace really needs to flow in and this mm-hmm. idea of second chance really needs to flow into our lives. And unfortunately for me, and I write about this in the book, is 
it took me a long time, years and years and years to actually allow grace to come into that aspect of my life. Because I thought because of that accident, the only logical response was to beat myself up, to shame myself. I wrote what I call um, uh, new condemnments for my life, new commandments basically, but they were condemning commandments where it's like I made this new rule for myself that I'd no longer enjoy the water because of what I did to that man because of, of the, the carnage that I had caused on the water and you had to have respect and honor for him. And just, and so my, my world became smaller and I enjoyed the water. I loved the water. Like anybody that knows me now, like knows that like the water, I live in San Diego near the beach. I, mm-hmm. I've got these four fountains all over my little yard. <laughs> I, just, I love the sound of water. But back then, because of that incident, I wrote a new rule. And I think we do that a lot in our lives where we have things that occur painful, traumatic things. Maybe we hurt people. Maybe we you know, get a DUI. Maybe we we have an addiction in our history. And all of a sudden, like the only response that we think that makes sense is to beat ourselves up, to bully ourselves, to make our life smaller, stand on the sidelines and say, like, God can't use me now. And so really what I'm trying to do through through my life and through my messages and, and my writings is just to remind people that like God loves us in our worst moments and that we aren't defined by our worst moments. We're actually defined by his radical love and um, who he says we are. Yeah, and that that's going to take for, I know a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders are listening to this right now. And I think for them, um, maybe their identity is rooted in what they do how they perform, how awesome their message was on Sunday morning or how unawesome it was. Mm-hmm. And and for us, like whether it's a good day, a bad day, a mediocre day, a, a win or a loss, that inviting God's love into the center of all of that is really the only way to live. And it's the only sustainable way to live and joyful way to live. Mm-hmm. And with it, like, you know, I know when, when that happened, you felt a lot of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, how did God begin to free your heart mm. from that after that? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm good at a lot of different things, you know, and I, what I've learned over the years is I'm really good at shaming myself and holding myself to a really high standard. And so unfortunately, Andrew, it, it took too long for that grace to come in and that freedom to come in. And um, I really believed that that rule that I had made for my life, that this was just going to haunt me. And this was the way that the way that I pay back for the accident was to just really beat myself up over it. And it all made perfect sense, too. So I literally operated under this for almost 19 years, which I look back on that and I go, why? Like, why did I do that? So much loss, so much like lack of freedom in my life because I put a system together, I put a framework together that made sense to me that honestly would make sense to the world too. Like, yeah, you know, Mike, you kind of screwed that up and you should feel bad about that for the rest of your life. Um, You know, I was prosecuted by a district attorney. There'd be lawsuits, like all the ramifications of that day. There was a lot of things that would verify or validate me not experience freedom or being released from that. And so... I think what happened was a couple of different things. And it, I think this is really kind of the, the great way that God works in our lives is that it wasn't a God moment, like we're just this breakthrough, like this insight. 
but it actually happened in a very small way with a couple friends and my wife saying, Mike, why don't you take a boating class? He says, I love sailboats. And I, 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 one of my favorite things to do is sit by on the shore and watch these sailboats on San Diego Bay. And I like in it, but, but in my rules, no, 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 I can't sail. The water's off limits. That's, I would be disrespecting that moment back on the Colorado river. I had to pay for my crime basically. And so sailing was off limits, but through encouragement, through these, just a few friends, you know, Mike, take the class. It's two days. You know, it doesn't, the, it doesn't have an, a sailboat doesn't have an engine, right? It's, it's, it's driven by wind. It's very safe and low key. And, and so I'm like, all right. And I signed up for the class. I think it cost me like $150. And I totally remember this moment, Andrew. I was on the second day of um, that class. And I'm literally sailing in the San Diego Bay. And I, I see the place like in the park where I used to sit and watch sailboats. Where I used to say like, hey, isn't that beautiful? But, you know, I could never do that. I had, I had to stand on the sidelines. I remember like looking at and just going, oh my gosh, like, hello, God is redeeming this, resurrecting this, breaking the lies that I believed about myself. It was, again, a very small moment, like a small decision, like I'm going to take a boating class. Um, it wasn't a Bible verse. It wasn't like, you know, a big light came on and I'm like, no, I'm going to be free now. I'm going to be whole. I'm going to not be dictated by my past anymore. And then just to like, again, I, I remember that moment clear, like just coming across the water and seeing that place in the park where I used to stand on the sidelines and I no longer felt that way anymore. Um, it's not that I don't remember the accident. It's not that I'm sort of like, um, my heart is so still very tender to that story and to those moments, but they're healing and it's becoming more whole and it's no longer a place of bondage, but a place of freedom and gratitude that God has released me. Mm -hmm. And then talk about how I know that that, you know, as God has kind of released you, that's propelled you into the work that he's called you to. Yeah. So talk about what you get to do. Well, I, I tell people all the time I have the greatest job in the world. I really do. Like <laughs> I literally just get to help people love their stories again. And I think a lot of us, and, and not just love their stories, but love their whole stories, messy parts and the successes, the failures and the wins, and to enjoy it all. Um, I when you know, So I lead this organization called People of the Second Chance. Secondchance.org is our website. And um, we just create stuff for not so perfect people and help them find the freedom that I was looking for for so many years in my own life in hopefully a quicker way, a little bit faster way, um, helping the, helping them embrace that through small groups and, um, workbooks and writing and, and e-court free e-courses that we do, um, talk a lot about identity and who we are in Christ and, um, helping people with just some of their basic struggles, whether it's depression or maybe trauma or just irreplaceable loss. Um, also, train leaders on how to be better heart handlers and coach and counsel other hurting people. And so we do a two-day workshop called Rescue Lab in San Diego. And um, I literally just equip leaders with real tools. Like it's not just come come in and be inspired. Like it's not, a, it's not a catalyst. Like this amazing, <laughs> inspiring 
couple of days. This is like, it, it's, um, and I love Catalyst, by the way, <laughs> but it's like uh, um, real practical, like little, do I teach you how to do little doodles that you can do little exercises with people to help take these really complex ideas and simplify them. I think the church and church leaders have this incredible opportunity to be, they're almost like the, on the, the front lines of people's pain and they, they deal with it every single day in some aspect. Um, somebody's calling them, somebody's emailing them, they're talking to somebody after a church service. And most pastors, I think, are not trained or equipped to handle many of the things that they're dealing with. They're great theologians or great communicators, um, or maybe we have, a, we're at a, we have a team of people. And a lot of times, I'm, the ministry path right now is so untraditional, right? How people get plugged into ministry these days. So sometimes we have no theological background. We have no counseling background. We don't, and yet, because we hold the title of pastor or we're in a particular role at the church, people look to us, they bring us their, our, their problems to us, and we're like, ah, <laughs> what do I say? What do I do? And so in those two days, I really like it's a crash course and just how to really do that well. Yeah, what's one of the lessons out of that that course that you feel like pastors really resonate with this, or this is the one thing that they're like, man, I'm so glad I learned this. Yeah, I think one of the things, um, so there's sort of two things that I believe about what happens when people come in. Number one, there's gonna be, you leave the two days and you just go filled with confidence, filled with purpose and a vision for how God is using you. We talk about finding your beach. So a lot of times pastors think that, well, I have to man the entire beach. And I live in, you know, by the beach and talk about lifeguards. And lifeguards have a particular area that they're responsible for. They don't man the entire West Coast. And I think what I do is give pastors permission to say, okay, where are your strengths? Where does your own not so perfect story intersect? with some of the, the issues that are going on and lean into that and don't feel like, uh, you know, you have to have an answer for everything and be able to be like, because I'm the, the pastor that I've got, like this, all the wisdom of how to deal with mental health issues or depression, or I understand sexual addiction in all its forms. And like just saying, okay, how has God used my own story and how, what is my heart um, drawn to? Where are my most areas of most compassion? Like compassion just flows for maybe people who are um, struggling in marriage. And so maybe that's your beach. It's like, I really want to minister to people who are you know, on the beach of marriage problems. Some people are really great with addiction. Um, you know, my, my best friend, Jed Wilhite, it's in um, Las Vegas, and he has a, an addiction background. So he has a lot of authority in that. He understands a lot of the issues on that. Um, so he's perfect guy to kind of speak into those people's lives. So, so really helping them define where their beach is and give them permission just to focus there, um, to realize that they don't have to save everybody and they don't have to man the entire West coast of beaches. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing that's really cool for people, so that gives them comments like, Hey, I can do that because I actually have knowledge in this because I've worked through these problems myself. Second thing is releasing them from the idea that they have to fix it. Hmm. Most pastors believe that they are responsible to fix the problem in somebody's life. And so I spent a lot of time debunking that myth and releasing them from the idea of like, and this is really honestly bad theology to think that we have to fix people, right? 
because God is really the, the, the great healer. He is the great physician. Um, I, I kind of break it down to two things. Like there's two, the framework that I teach people in the class is we're to respond with radical acceptance towards broken people. Like, I love you. Um, there's nothing you can tell me right now to make me love you less. Um, I'm for you. I'm in your corner. I want you to be whole and free. I, I'm like, so communicating that in a very significant way, and there's lots of ways that we do that, but that's one principle number one. And the second principle that I teach you is um, being a cheerleader of personal responsibility and ownership. And what I mean by that is we as pastors have to place the ownership and the personal responsibility on the individual. The individual has to do the work if they want to be healed, okay? God has to be in the midst of all that. Like, we cannot fix them. And we, we sometimes, you know, un- unfortunately believe that it's our role or our job or that we have some insight or talent or skill to actually um, fix people, and we, we don't. Mm. What we can do is love people really well and encourage them to take ownership of their own lives and their own process. So what I encourage leaders to do in the class is say, um, I, I define ownership as making a choice to be committed to an outcome. And so the person has to make the choice. The choice can't be forced upon them. It can't be you know, under compliance. It can't be just like they have to make the choice. And so as a leader, what we want to do is define the outcome. What is it that you want for your life? And like say the guy's struggling with pornography. It's like, okay, what is, what is pornography doing to your heart and your life and your marriage and your children right now? Let's talk about that. Do you, the, the guy will probably, if he's honest, saying, yeah, I don't like it. I don't want this. And then we get our pom-poms and go, yes, God doesn't want this for you. I don't want this for you. You don't want this. So let's make a choice to be committed to an outcome. And what's the outcome? The outcome is I want a healthy marriage. I want kids that love and respect me. I want to find true intimacy. And so we help define that outcome, and then we are simply a cheerleader. We cannot do the heavy lifting for that individual. They have to make the choice. They have to do the work. We are just like become the best encouragers and hopesters and cheerleaders of them doing the work and doing the process and letting God be in the center of that, of you know, bringing the healing. Mm-hmm. And I think you're you're kind of hitting on that thing that's a, a common temptation for pastors, where we want to see results. We yes. want to know how many people are coming, or how you know how many people have I helped, or what have I done with my time. Yes. And so, talk about how how pastors need to shift to having a different type of of metric. Yeah. You know. Well, it's true. I I have this little diagram. It's kind of hard to do it on on through listening to us, but but I always tell people that the healing work that takes place in our in people's lives and the people that we're pastoring and shepherding, it, it re- requires love and time. And it's always more love than you could have expected or imagined. And it's always more time than you could have ever imagined or expected. It's like in our minds, it's like, yeah, he'll, he'll be over this in about three months. It's like, no, make that a year, <laughs> you know? Or sometimes, a, a, um, these timelines and sort of our own expectations is really, I'll speak for myself, that's really about my own ego. I need to see uh, progress. I need to see, you know, that my words or my teaching or my insights, my advice that I brought is is having an impact. 
And God is really always telling us as leaders, says, listen, man, I want you to be part of it, but I want you to be part of it in the radical acceptance and love category and in the cheerleading of ownership category. But I am going to do the real transformation here. Mm -hmm. And so divorcing ourselves from those metrics and even our markers, because the other thing, the markers themselves are to be questioned because how do you really know what is going on? You may see certain signs of, you know, maybe some of the bad days or some of the, you know, you get the, some little indicators that maybe things are, there's also maybe some good days or maybe there's some real transformational freedom that's happening in their lives and maybe not in the areas that you want to see or particular aspect of that, but maybe there are some beautiful things going on. So even our own judgment of what's good or what's working or they're getting better or not getting better, you know, that's sometimes that can be debated. And so releasing ourselves from the metrics, releasing us from having to fix people, you know, allowing God to do the heavy lifting. And I think pastors are so exhausted and tired is because they're taking too much of the ownership of life transformation. We can invite people into life transformation. We can encourage life transformation, but we can't do the work for them. Mm -hmm. And Mike, I know that one of the places in the Bible that God has given you a love for and also insight as you as you're teaching is the parable of the prodigal son. Talk to us about how God has used that to shape you and then also shape your ministry. Yeah. Well, it's my favorite story and I, I write about it in the in the book and I just um it, it's such a clear picture to me of what um the relationship with God needs to look like and my response to that relationship with God. And what I mean by the response is a lot of times um, we were just talking about uh, Tim Keller's uh, book uh, about prodigal God and like that. It's an amazing book. And like Tim does an amazing job, like unpacking that story. Like we could just go read the book, read Tim's book because it's so <laughs> great. But the thing that I kind of anchor on in, in uh, kind of my, not only with the ministry, but also with the book, is this idea of the celebration and the party. I think sometimes we get so focused on the prodigal, we get so focused on the elder brother and like which role are we, and we forget this idea of celebration. And um, like I really, like the past couple of years, my whole life has shifted to less and less conversations about what went wrong and the problems and the sin and all that sort of stuff. And not to say that's not relevant, it is, but what's even more relevant is the today, the now, the the coming home and coming to our senses and celebrating that. And so uh, one of the things that we're doing in our ministry is we, uh, we throw prodigal parties. Like we literally are like taking that story from the Bible and say, hey, God's kind of a party God. Like he's into celebrating broken things. Like, why don't we do that? And let's see what happens. And so we've been working with inmates who are getting out of prison. And we just did a party actually a couple of weeks ago for a lady named Ramona who uh, spent 21 years in prison for uh, a nonviolent drug offense, by the way. Like talk about something that's broken right now in our society, our court system and our legal system. Like she was actually serving a life sentence for drugs. That's whacked. Okay. She got clemency from President Obama. So I don't care what, what your, your politics are, but it's like, you know, he, he said that's not right and, and gave her clemency. And so after serving 21 years, we said, you know, 
Ramona, I know the society may look at you like a, a, a druggy, a threat, lock them up and throw away the key that, that you need to, like all kinds of different societal labels that have been put on Ramona. And we say, you know, Ramona, the only label we want to put on you is friend and beloved. And so we threw our party. We had like over 115 people come to this party. Actually, you could see the little video, which is this amazing celebration, like cake and lunch and dancing like it was literally a party and there was no speeches like hey ramon let's talk about the drugs let's talk about the prison there's just none of that it's just like in the prodigal son story let's talk about the prostitutes let's talk about you know how you wasted the money there's you don't see any of that in the exchange you just see party and what's so great about it is like some people will say well um that's nice mike is that but that's not enough they need to get involved in a small group they need to to church on Sundays, they need they need to read the Bible. Like, and I think that's true. But I actually believe the formational work that happens when we celebrate broken things or we celebrate the uncelebrated, we literally, I, I believe like a party has the ability to break the chains of bondage and shame and the unworthiness that we feel because it's, it's bringing together fellow prodigals who all have been in the same boat and say like, we love you as you are today, like who you are. Yeah, we know your past. You, if, if we're going to talk, Ramona, if we're going to talk about your past, then all of us get to talk about our past. And nobody really wants to do that. Right now we just want to do the Macarena, <laughs> you know? And so just celebrating people and the power of that. And I've seen like, we've done this countless times now. And it's crazy to see the shift that happens in somebody's mind. Identity is powerful. Like I always say, if, your identity is broken, then your life is broken. And so these parties are saying like, you know, when the father looked at the prodigal and said, no, no, you're not going to be a slave. You're not going to work for me. We're going to, we're going to party. You're my son. My son has come home. And, um, that's a very, very powerful message to that prodigal, just as the party and the guacamole and the cheese dip that we served at Ramona's party was a very powerful message to her. Yeah, I think it really hits me that when people have gone through these things in their story, uh, they're so painful. You begin to feel it in one sense, I know that God loves me, uh, even though this this horrible thing happened. But in another sense, you have to ask the question, do we really live like that? And so talk about how a party can reinforce the extravagant love that God has for us. Yeah. Well, you know, interesting. I was talking to my friend, John Acuff, who... uh, some of you probably know he's a great guy, great friend. And um, I think John puts it really well. He, he's talking about this, this sense of like, we truly understand what grace is when after the party the next morning, the prodigal is sleeping in. He's not getting up to clean, start cleaning up the house or do the dishes or you know, start working back in the field. Like, I've got to do something now to pay for the party. You know, it's like when we feel comfortable sleeping in, then we really understand grace. And I think for many of us, we kind of have this pseudo quasi grace slash legalism thing that's happening in our mind. And, and we've, we've justified it and we find some great verses that support our legalism and our, our working for God's love or like, Hey, no, no, I got to wake up after the party and, and start cleaning up. Like Ramona did not do the dishes. Okay we would have none of that. Like, Ramona, you are our guest of honor, right? We, you just spent 21 years in prison. 
you're not doing the dishes, my friend. Like we want to unconditionally love you, remind you who you are. And so part of the deal is Ramona actually has to receive that. And I think so often um, pastors, leaders operate from the sense of scarcity in terms of knowing God's love for them. I think they really get it that, yes, God loves others. Yes, God loves my flock. God loves the people that I'm ministering to. But me, yeah, maybe if I do well on Sundays or if the metrics look good or, you know, I hit one out of the park or, you know, we get have a big baptism Sunday. Like those things are like, yeah, God's smiling now. But the thing, you truly understand grace as a leader when you have your worst Sunday and you can wake up Monday morning and know God's still smiling and proud of you and is is like beyond like excited to be a part of what you're doing in your town and in your city and your life. And yet I think most pastors struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, it, it's so fun to talk to you about the work you're doing. And I think it's, it's a, it's a challenge to us as leaders and pastors to always be thinking about who are those people like Ramona in our lives that we need to celebrate, that we need to throw mm-hmm. a party. And so thank you so much for your work. And, and thank you so much for this new book, The People of the Second Chance. We'll link to it in the show notes for the epi- this episode and also to your website where people can get involved and, and see more of what you're doing. So thanks for taking time to be with us today. Thanks so much, Andrew. Well, thanks so much to Mike Foster for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and consider sending this episode to somebody you know who might benefit from listening to it. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve this podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us interview, you can email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.